Shalom Mishpocha. Shalom family. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpocha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people where the middle wall is separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down to form one new man. Getting ready, Mishpocha, to blow the grandest shofar or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. My guest, Bruce Malone, is a scientist. He's a chemical engineer. Uh, he's worked at uh, Dow Chemical. Uh, what did you do at Dow Chemical, Bruce? Well, I developed new products. My expertise has always been research and development, and I worked at Dow for almost 30 years. Okay, you were raised in a mainline church. God was irrelevant to you. You got to college, whatever faith you had. They knocked it out of you. Uh, you were. Uh, why did you call yourself an agnostic? Well, God was just irrelevant. By the time I got through college, uh, I had been told hundreds of times that everything could be explained without God. So uh, there really didn't seem to me any point going to church or donating toward churches when you could explain everything without him. No, no, that's not my question. My question is, why didn't you just call yourself an atheist? Because as a scientist, I like to think I have an open mind. And uh, ev even though I thought things could be explained without God, it had never been proven to me that God didn't exist either. So I, I felt like I had an open mind either way. He was just pretty much irrelevant. Okay, so uh, you're married, you have your first son, and then you develop a virus, and you're dying. But what I understand is an amazing miracle happened. Well, I think God, who is real, was trying to get my attention, and he had to take me to the point of death for that to happen. Um, and that's exactly right. I had double pneumonia. The doctors could do nothing. I was on 100% oxygen. I was still hallucinating, and the doctors told my wife they should be prepared for me to die. Uh, continued to deteriorate day after day, and yet suddenly I, I just immediately started to get better. Uh, there were many people praying for me, and I wasn't even aware of it at the time. Uh, but uh, the doctors had no explanation. They, they, so no six, drugs had changed, and suddenly I got better. So six months later, what were the circumstances that you decided to go from agnostic to believer? Well, I started looking for a deeper meaning in life, as many people when they face death do. I mean, is life just about collecting money and possessions, and then you die and return to dust, or is there more? And many friends were kind of pointing me in the direction that God was real, and uh, even more specifically, that God had entered into creation as Jesus Christ in order to make that bridge between sinful man back into his holy presence. And all of that made sense. Everything Jesus said made sense. The miracles made sense. The turning around of the lives of his disciples made sense. As a scientist, how could that all make sense to you? Well, I'll tell you what. At the same time, I started to look at the complexity of the created world, the biological world and the universe. And what I had been taught in school was not starting to really explain the order and complexity of the creation. 
so I started looking for a, diff, a, a deeper meaning, and that led me to what the Bible had to say about where everything came from. But something really put it all together for you when coming to your church is someone giving uh, a message on creationism. Well, that's exactly right. Um, and, and honestly, remember, now I, I have started to realize that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the creator. Uh, but I am still very much in a scientific mindset. And this speaker came, and amongst other things, he started to show how the complexity of biology couldn't have made itself. But he also started to show the evidence that the rock layers of this planet had to have been laid down rapidly. And uh, we can talk further about that later. But I realized that if there really had been this worldwide flood that the Bible had talked about as a real event of history, then that wiped out everything I'd ever been taught about world history, about the age of things, about where biological life came from, because those rock layers would have been laid down rapidly. It shook up my entire worldview. Now, you started praying for wisdom on your job as a researcher for Dow Chemical, and in addition to being one of the top 100 uh, inventors of the year award, uh, you have designed and ideas for over 18 patents that made the company millions of dollars? Well, let me back up and uh, just tell you how all that came about. After becoming a Christian, after giving my life to the Lord, I went before him um, as a young engineer with my company. I had only been with Dow about three years. And I asked the Lord uh, to give me some ideas which would uh, make the company more successful. Not necessarily for myself, but just because I had a good job, I wanted to be a blessing to others in that area. Uh, within a week, I had an idea for developing a new foam product uh, that turned out to be a very high energy absorbent foam. Uh, and one of the product spin-offs was this, was a energy absorbing headliner that was used in automobiles. Uh, other inventions included a vacuum insulation foam used for organ transplant boxes and, and refrigeration walls and new types of wood, plastic composite decking materials, all very practical inventions. But what this did was give me both confidence and credibility as I then went out into the public to talk about uh, the credibility of God's Word and the reliability of its model for creation and where everything came from. Now, you ran into a, a bit of a crisis um, afterwards, uh, and you decided, well, I read about Gideon. I'm going to try a fleece. Should I stay in this area? Should I relocate? Uh, I, and uh, tell me about the fleece. Well, let me, let me just share that, and, and this will take more than 30 seconds. You know, there's too many Christians and people who acknowledge the Lord's existence that don't really understand that God really does interact with our personal lives. He really does care on a day-to-day -day basis uh, what we're doing and, and what we're all about. My company had decided to shut down its research center. I had been in Granville, Ohio for 17 years. My roots had grown deep. I loved this area. Uh, we had been good stewards, so we paid off our home. It was my desire just to stay in Granville the rest of my life. Uh, but when they cut, shut down the research center, the company offered to pay to move everybody up to Midland, Michigan. 
Now, I did not want to do this, but most of all, I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. So I, I prayed fervently over it. And uh, one day I was praying, and I read this passage where uh, Jesus said, He who leaves family and friends and home uh, in this world will be blessed in the next. And it just jumped off the page at me, leave your home. Uh, and then through circumstances, I applied for jobs where I should have been a shoe-in in the local area, but those didn't come through. Lastly, I kind of laid out a fleece, and I said, Lord, if you really want me to move, I would love to have a very definite sign. What I would like is I go out and walk and pray in the area around our research center. If you could bring a deer out right in front of me, which was just doesn't happen. Normally, deers will run off when you get anywhere near them. Um, I will know that I should be moving and not staying here. So I did just that. I went out and I prayed and I walked through the fields, and there, nothing happened. And I thought, ah, I, I think I know what God wants, but I just am not sure. As I turned to walk back toward our buildings, not 20 feet away, a deer stood up in the grass and stared directly at me for I, probably five to ten seconds, and then it bounded off through the grass. And right before that happened, I, I just sensed God's presence, and he was told me, I have already told you what I want you to do. In other words, to move. I have a purpose for you in Midland, Michigan. Uh, and it was after that the deer stood up, and it's like God was saying, even though I have ways of giving you my purpose and my, my guidance, I love you enough, I want you to know absolutely for sure. And here was this deer that stood up and looked at me. I, I mean, God is still doing miracles today. And, and Bruce, you believe, as I do, that there is overwhelming evidence that evolution is not based on science. Now, as a scientist, you started buying space in the local newspaper and running articles about the evidence that you have, uh, and you bumped into a real firestorm of criticism. Oh, you're not kidding. Yeah, Sid, you, you cannot present biblical truth in our country in this day and age without it being strongly opposed. And the more important an issue is, the more the opposition becomes. The, um, you, know, uh, you also speak in universities. What goes on when you speak at universities on this subject? Uh, the same thing. You see, even more than when I was growing up, the, the children are being sent through our educational system shown only one viewpoint. It's almost as if you were at a trial to try to determine what the truth of something is, and the per prosecution presents their entire case, and then the judge says to the jury, okay, you've heard enough, now go make your decision without ever having a chance to have heard the other viewpoint. That's what's happening in our school systems. The, the, the kids, the students, the, even the teachers are only hearing a natural processes made everything viewpoint. They never get to hear the evidence for a designer behind it. All. It's actually, is it true, it's even against the law to bring up creationism in schools? Uh, the, the Supreme Court has repeatedly uh, supported the idea that because of a distortion of one of um, Thomas Jefferson's letters, uh, where he mentioned the separation of church and state, 
that no public school system can promote or even cast doubt on the idea of evolution. Uh, listen, we are in the last of the last days, as Bruce will show you from Scripture a little later on in the week. Uh, and what is going on is what was prophesied. But we want to rescue this generation of young people and even older people. And we have a book by a scientist. It's a beautiful book, hardcover, beautiful artwork. Uh, it's called Censored Science, The Suppressed Evidence, and then a daily devotional where you'll read one devotional that will give you a zinger, absolute proof of creationism, and a special DVD. It's absolutely explosive. It's called Geological Evidence for Creation. Bruce spoke at a Christian theological school, and the professor said he changed his view, the head of the school, changed his view on the accuracy of Genesis 180 degrees after hearing that talk, all three available for a gift of $40. Call our order-only line, one 800 447-2697. Bruce, there's a, there are a lot of controversies going on, but one controversy that even many Christians are, are fuzzy over has to do with the age of the earth. I mean, the Bible says the earth is some 6,000 years old, but we have all these uh, scientific dating things, carbon dating, etc., uh, that says the Earth is millions of years old. What do you say? The vast majority of dating methods indicate a very recent creation. It's just that most Christians don't get to hear those, and they are systematically censored from our school systems. Well, so what you're saying is some say it's a millions of years old and some don't? Is that what you're saying? have to understand is that all dating methods involve assumptions. Almost every dating method, you have to see the amount of something divided by the rate at which it changes, divide the amount by the rate, and you come up with an age. Uh, but they, there's assumptions involved to all of them. You can't ever date something beyond historical times and know for sure you have the right date. Why did you say that the Bible is accurate, that the earth is a little over 6,000 years old? Well, first of all, first and foremost, I look at a God who made this incredibly intricate, gorgeous universe, and I think to myself, don't you think a God capable of making the entire universe ought to be able to communicate when and how he did it clearly in a straightforward way? And that's exactly what he did in the Bible. Second, as I said, the majority of dating methods agree with that. They indicate this Earth is very recently made, and I'll be glad to share a few of those. Tell me some scientific evidence that supports uh, the creation view. Well, let me jump into one of the most visual ones. About eight years ago, um, Dr. Mary Schweitzer down at North Carolina University dug up a Tyrannosaurus rex skeleton in Montana and when the bones were pulled out, they broke apart, and she said she smelled like a rotting smell. She got permission to dissolve away part of this very valuable bone and found completely unfossilized organic dinosaur tissue inside the bone. Now, that would be like King Arthur leaving a chicken leg on a rock somewhere 500 years ago 
and someone coming along last month and picking up that chicken leg and eating it and it's still being edible. It is absolutely impossible if those dinosaurs were buried 60 or 70 million years ago for there still to be undecayed tissue inside of it, and yet there is. That is this enormous indication that the entire rock layers of the Earth were laid down recently and rapidly, and they aren't millions of years old. And that's just one example. Um, but but wait a second. Uh, when, when we look at it, at uh, some of the wonders in the United States, like Grand Canyon, that took millions of years to develop. Sid, it's an assumption that those rock layers we see in the Grand Canyon took millions of years. You see, there's two possibilities. One is that over huge periods of time, slow little bits of sediment happened and built up to form limestone and sandstone layers, and that over many more millions of years, that river carved out that canyon. But there's another possibility that's ignored, and that's the biblical possibility. And it's presented as a fact in the Bible that there was a world restructuring flood. It ripped up the, the vegetation and the plants and the sediments and redistributed them across this globe about 4,500 years ago, and that's what formed those layers, laid them down rapidly. We don't even see fossils forming today. A hundred million buffalo died in the 1800s on the Great Plains, and yet not a single one turned into a fossil. To form fossils, you've got to bury things rapidly and deeply to keep them from decaying and being eaten by other predators. So the rock layers of this earth did not form slowly. They formed very rapidly. During this flood, there was enormous amounts of water that pooled in different areas around the planet after the flood. It lasted for an entire year. And that water covered much of the western United States. After those layers formed, it broke through and rapidly carved out the Grand Canyon, revealing all of these sediment layers that had formed during this flood. So you see, there's not millions of years represented there. There's merely the evidence of the rapid depositing of those various layers of rock. Well, have you got scientific uh, evidence uh, that this could happen quickly? Well, actually we do. Um, one of the best examples was in 1980 when Mount St. Helens erupted out in Washington State. The entire top third of the mountain uh, during an earthquake eruption event slid down into the valley as an enormous fluid flood flow. Now, they've estimated that happened at 160 miles an hour. So here you have the top of the mountain being shook, turned into like a, a moving fluid, and all of that mud and melted snow and sediment flowing down into the valley. You would think it would be like sticking a blender into a bunch of mashed potatoes and blending it up, but that's not what they found. When uh, several months later that sediment that flowed as a fluid had turned back into rock, just like you pour concrete as a fluid and the next day it's a hard stone. Uh, water had backed up. It broke through that area, caused massive erosion in a amount of hours, formed an entire new river valley, not over millions of years, but in a matter of hours, and it revealed what that sediment that had flowed down into the valley looked like, and you could see perfectly straight lines of sediment as far up and down the river valley as the eye could see, sorting that sediment into different particle types and densities. Just like when we look at the Grand Canyon or we look into road cuts, we see horizontal lines of sediment up and down the horizon. And yet this happened in a matter of minutes, not over millions of years. 
Well, how did we get in this nation to the point that we can't at least put creationism as a viable cause of creation as opposed to evolution as a viable cause of creation? Why can't we just do both? Ultimately, it comes down to human nature's desire to get out from under the accountability of God. You see, there's only two possibilities for where we came from. Either God made us, or something turned into something else that turned into something else that eventually turned into something that looked like an ape that turned into a person. There are no other possibilities. If you don't want to believe that one moment people weren't here and the next moment they were, then you're forced to believe the only other option, which is that some sort of an animal turned into us. For that to even have a possibility of being true, you need enormous periods of time. So only that evidence is shown to students, and only that evidence is shown in schools, because it leaves God out, and then we get to make the rules. And that's why evolution is so popular. But your literature, your books, prove that most of this is just a plain hoax. It's not science. It's, it's actually worse than that, Sid. It violates what we do know about the laws of science. It says that matter and energy made itself at some point way back in the past, and yet every experiment we've ever done shows matter and energy can never be created nor destroyed. It says that information can spontaneously make itself. The DNA language, and the DNA code is a language, wrote itself. That violates everything we know about language theory. The mechanisms of evolution simply do not work. They violate observations. Natural selection and mutations will not cause one creature to turn into another. And yet it's taught in schools as if it does work. So, yeah, it is a sad, sad situation, all in an effort to deny God's existence. And, uh, now, in your research, you talk about dinosaur bones uh, next to uh, parrots, penguins, insects, and they look just the parrots, penguins, and insects look exactly like the ones we have today. How, do, how, how can a scientist account for that? Well, because people, whether they have fallen and deny God's existence or not, are still creative. I mean, I can take a tricycle and a bicycle and a motorcycle and a car, and I could line them up. Well, that's what they'll do with fossils. They'll say, well, what looks most like a bird? Well, maybe it was a dinosaur that stood upright on two legs. So they'll line up a dinosaur and say its scales somehow got frayed and eventually it turned into a feather. Whether they find that in-between transition or not, they'll line things up in order to try to explain where they came from. Well, I'm sure you're aware of this, Bruce, and I'm sure most of our listeners are aware of this. But from elementary school on, the students are taught against the literal m meaning of the Bible about creation. Uh, so that's why your literature is a must for every home in America. I mean, this uh, softcover book, uh, Inspired Evidence, Only One Reality, where you have a, re a reading, one, uh, one reading per day for each day of the year. I would like to see every family in the world have that reading every day for their youth. And then the beautiful hardcover book, Censored Science, The Suppressed Evidence, uh, 
I, I can't imagine a family not having this with what's going on with the education system right now. We have got to prepare our kids. And these are great, fun, easy-to-read books that are going to reinforce the trustworthiness of God's Word. Okay. The book inspired evidence, only one reality— 365 readings every day. Someone, a child in elementary school, would they comprehend this? Oh, absolutely. Just for instance, there's a page on biology. It talks about a frog in South America that that the mother frog lays its eggs, and then it shuts down its stomach, swallows the eggs, turns its stomach into a little nursery, and the frogs go through their entire metamorphosis, lose their tails, become little baby frogs, and then crawl out of the mother's mouth. Now, how in the world could a frog learn to cut, shut down its stomach acids unless God made this miraculous system from the very beginning? Bruce, this book is so beautiful. The hardcover book we're offering, Censored Science, The Suppressed Evidence, uh, why did you go to such efforts to make it so beautiful? I mean, it could sit on a, uh, on a living room table. It's so gorgeous. Anything we do needs to be done well because it's a reflection of truth, a reflection of our creator. We are up against the entire museum system, the educational system, the media system that's all promoting and pushing the false idea that the Bible can't be trusted when it talks about science and biology and geology and history. So we need to be preparing our children and others for what the truth is. That's why I went to all the trouble. Okay. Uh, Everyone has heard of Charles Darwin uh, and his theory, except it's taught like a fact today. Uh, Give us some insight about how we got to this point. Well, you need a little bit of background. Charles Darwin uh, was started out in theological school studying the Bible, decided he wanted to be a naturalist, which is an old 1800s term for scientist studying the natural world, went on a five-year voyage looking at observations. He was strongly influenced by a man named uh, Charles Lyell, who wrote a book called Principles of Geology. He's called the father of geology that promoted the idea that slow, gradual processes over huge periods of time created all the geology of our planet. Little changes, lots of time. Darwin took that idea, looked at, for instance, the beaks of a finch, saw certain sized beaks on the mainland, different sized beaks on the Galapagos Island. He thought small gradual changes in biology, if they have an advantage over huge periods of time, could turn one sort of creature into another. It sort of makes sense if that's all you ever get to hear. Enormous problems with it, but those get glossed over in the textbooks and schools and museums. Now, Darwin sat on that for 20 years. He didn't publish his book, Origin of the Species, until 20 years after his journey. And he published it after his young daughter, Annie, died, because he reasoned death has always been around. Millions and billions of years have always been around where things have been living and dying and getting diseases. So if God exists at all, he must be a pretty cruel God to have created all these millions of years of death and disease and bloodshed. And at that point, he set out to destroy people's belief in God, and he did it through his theory, which is really just a story to try to explain everything as if God doesn't exist, and he called it evolution. But, but wait a second. These are scientists 
and my understanding of a scientist is he wants to deal with facts, so there must be some facts to support evolution. Well, evolution is a word that means many different things. It can mean change, and change does happen. It can mean that if a creature has an advantage over other creatures, it will make more copies of itself and fill up an environmental niche. That actually does happen. That sort of evolution happens. But then this shell game happens where the definition completely changes, and then they assume that one kind of creature can turn into a completely different kind of creature. That kind of evolution has never been seen and never happened. We're dealing with hard science, reality, things that are testable and observable in a laboratory versus philosophy. The biological evolution idea that one kind of creature can turn into another is just a philosophical idea that is not supported by science. Give me uh, one fact, scientific, why this cannot be. Well, let me give you an experiment that has been run for 100 years. Supposedly, mutations, little changes in the DNA code are what cause one kind of creature to turn into another. So we have taken thousands of fruit flies that only live for about 14 days. We'll put them in a chamber and irradiate them so their mutation rate is accelerated a thousand-fold. And we'll do it with thousands of flies. So we are simulating millions of years of evolutionary progress. All we ever get are fruit flies with twisted wings, fruit flies with different numbers of bristles, fruit flies with legs hanging out where their eyeballs ought to be, and lots and lots of dead fruit flies. We've never gotten a new organ. We've never gotten a new feature. We've never gotten a new creature. What that says is when you do an experiment, it shows evolution does not occur. What happens is a deterioration of the information that's there, not an upward advancement of the information. Well, with all of the knowledge we have today, and it really is, as Daniel says, information is exploding. Can human life be created in a laboratory? We are about as close to ever creating any form of life in the laboratory is if I put a piece of paper at the base of Mount Everest. Mount Everest is 28,000 foot tall. And then I stepped up on top of that piece of paper. We haven't even come that close to creating life. We don't make the right chemicals. There are random mixture chemicals that don't work when we produce life. When we try to make um, what are called amino acids, which are like the building blocks of life by random experiments, we get a useless mixture of chemicals instead of the correct acids. We don't get all the ones we need. Uh, as a matter of fact, you could take like a hundred million bacteria and you could put them in a centrifuge, which spins it around and breaks open all of the cell membranes. So now in the bottom of your test tube, you have every chemical you need for life in exactly the right proportion, in exactly the right place, at exactly the right temperature, and it will never turn into a new form of life. Every experiment we've does gives that same result. Life has to be organized by something, someone of unbelievable intelligence and intellect. And, and God is the most logical scientific answer for that. Uh, what about the uh, horse fossil hoax you speak of? Uh, let me give you a little background on that. After Darwin uh, had passed away, a man named uh, Huxley, Alex Huxley, became what was called Darwin's bulldog. And he really was promoting this idea in the atheist community of explaining everything without God and looking for examples to do so. 
Well, he came over to the United States, and a gentleman showed him a set of fossils of, of what were supposedly different horses, horses with three toes, horses with two toes, horses with a single hoof, and then growing in size. And he lined them all up into a beautiful chart. And at that time in the 1800s, the horse was the mode of transportation. So if there was ever something that could be used to have an enormous impact to the man on the street about whether evolution could be true, it was this idea that horses could have evolved from an ancient time way down in the rock layers to a modern horse today. Unfortunately for evolution, that was 100 years ago. We've now discovered every single one of those different supposed ancestors of the horses have been found in essentially the same rock layer level. So they couldn't be ancestors to one another. And most of those displays of horses have been pulled out of the museums today because they know uh, they're just simply not true. For instance, even though it's still in the American Museum of Natural History, the curator, Dr. Niles Eldridge, has said there's been an awful lot of stories told, imaginative stories about nature of life and so on. The most famous example still on exhibit is an exhibit of a horse evolution from 50 years ago. But I now think that's lamentable because when people who propose these kind of stories are themselves made aware of the speculative nature of that kind of stuff. See, he's admitting that it's not even true, and yet it's still there in the museum. I don't get it. That's not the way a scientist is supposed to operate, according to my understanding of science. But the only two options are that God did it. One moment there weren't horses, the next moment there were. Lots of variations of the horse kind, but they were just suddenly created. Or something turned into something that turned into something that turned into a horse. If you don't want to believe God made it, even if the data doesn't agree, you're stuck with believing that something else turned into a horse. What are these missing links that you hear about every few years that are found? Those are simply variations within a created kind of creature. Like there are many different variations of dogs. All came from a wolf, but all of that information came from the original DNA of the wolf. But you see, there's never been a completely half man, half ape, or a half fish, half reptile, or a half bird, half dinosaur, because it doesn't work. Those kind of things just simply do not exist. Well, you would think if the Earth was millions of years old, and if evolution was true, there certainly would be a lot of half-creatures. There should be millions of them, Sid. Every creature should be filled with these functions that they no longer need as a reptile turned into a bird or as a fish turned into an amphibian or as an ape turned into a person. Our body ought to be filled with stuff that we no longer need, but it's not. There's a deterioration of the DNA information, but there's not all these useless, unneeded parts because evolution has never occurred. I'm reminded of what King David said, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Well, Bruce Malone wants to help a lot of people that are getting in the, within our education system lies. And I'll call it for what it is, lies. And that's why he has this beautiful hardcover book. The artwork is amazing called Censored Science. 
the suppressed evidence in a soft cover book, one re, uh, devotional reading each day. The whole family should do it with what I call zingers. And then a DVD called Explosive Geological Evidence for Creation. It's changing people's paradigms. Every home needs these tools for a gift of $40. Call our order only line, one 800 447 2697. 1 800 447 2697. Bruce. Uh, there's, a, 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 you know, a, a science teaches uh, about various ages of the millions of years that they say the, the Earth is, is old, uh, and they have something called an ice age. What do you say about that? Well, the Earth science textbooks actually teach there have been a dozen or more ice ages, the last one being anywhere from 20 to 100,000 years ago, which is way outside of what the Bible says is the age of this Earth. And this is one of those areas where God's Word really shines in just explaining things much better than this evolutionary science that we're all, is pushed upon us all. You see, the Bible talks about a worldwide flood, and it says all of the fountains of the great deep broke forth during this flood that restructured, resurfaced this entire planet. During that time, there had to have been rapid movement of the continents. There had to have been enormous amounts of volcanism. There, there's a ridge all the way through the middle of the Atlantic Ocean where enormous amounts of lava poured out. Well, this land movement and this lava would have greatly heated up the oceans of the world. Uh, they may have been 20, 30, 40 degrees warmer at the end of the flood than they were before or they are today. Well, all of that heat had to go somewhere. To explain an ice age, you have to evaporate enormous amounts of water that then comes down as snowfall on the polar caps and turns into ice. Well, the flood would have done exactly that. You couldn't have a worldwide flood without guaranteeing an ice age following the flood. So all that water evaporated from the oceans, evaporated from the oceans, evaporated from the oceans, the forecast in uh, Canada and upper Europe and down in South America would have been snow today, snow tomorrow, snow next month, snow next year. It would have snowed continuously for hundreds of years. The ocean levels would have dropped hundreds of feet and enormous glaciers would have built up all over this planet. Now that would have happened about 4,000 years ago. The Ice Age was raging during the time of Job and Abraham but it was in the northern latitudes. Uh, Egypt, uh, Israel, and those areas of the world never saw an ice age, and that's why it's not mentioned in the Bible, but that's where it fits into world history. I, I, I love it where you talk about the woolly mammoths. Who are they? Well, after the flood, the literal event that really happened on this planet, animals and people spread out across this globe uh, to repopulate the planet. Uh, it would only take hundreds of years for millions of a certain kind of creature to fill the environment. During the flood, remember I said the oceans were much warmer. That means the Arctic Ocean was much, much warmer. Ice was building up further south from the Arctic Ocean, but along the seacoast for hundreds of miles inland, it was a very temperate environment. Woolly mammoths have been found in Siberia and in upper Alaska with tropical vegetation in their stomachs, and they were very rapidly frozen. Well, as the Arctic Ocean temperature dropped and dropped and dropped over hundreds of years as the water continued to cool, eventually it froze over 
and those woolly mammoths were trapped between the huge sheets of ice to the south and the frozen ocean to the north, and they became extinct. You see, that model explains why they're there, why they had tropical vegetation in their stomach, and what happened to them. It's a huge mystery to secular science because they deny what the Bible has to say about a worldwide flood. Well, speaking about the worldwide flood, uh, how do you explain the seashells? Well, there are seashells on top of Mount Everest. You know, most people aren't aware of that. Mount Everest is 28,000 feet above sea level, and there are fossilized seashells at the top of that mountain. All right. As a scientist, how could the seashells get to the top of the mountain? Well, because those mountains were not as high during Noah's flood. There's actually enough water in the Pacific, Atlantic, Arctic, Indian Ocean, if the world was flatter, if the mountains weren't so high, to cover this entire globe with water two miles deep. Uh, well, well, those continents, our current continents, North America, South America, they do fit up into Africa, Europe, like it was all one big landmass before the flood, but they moved very rapidly into their current position. And when those continental plates smashed together, when India moved and slammed up into Europe, it shoved up the Himalaya Mountains. When the plates in the Pacific uh, Northwest Rim shoved together, it shoved up the Rocky Mountains. So those mountains formed near the end of the flood, not before and during the flood. And because they were all underwater, lifted way up above sea level were those sediments that were laid down underwater that contained seashells. Once again, it fits the biblical model perfectly. And you talk about the history of most cultures talk about a worldwide flood. Uh, but what about, I find it fascinating, uh, the, what you call the red record. What is that? Well, there is an ancient document called the, the Wolam Olam. It's uh, the, the history of the Delaware Indian tribe. And the Delaware Indians were kind of the root original father tribe of all the other, uh, the Hopis and the, the Cherokees and the other American Indian tribes. Well, they have a history that goes back to where did creation come from, and they talk about the great spirit hovering over the waters of the deep. It talks about where sin came from in this ancient Indian document. And it says sin is here because mankind rebelled against the great spirit when an evil snake came to deceive them. And it also talks about a worldwide flood, and uh, their hero, whom in this document is called Ninabush, which I believe is a reference to Noah. Now, how, how, how could all that be? It's not that the Bible came from this ancient Indian document. It's people spread out across the globe after this flood. They took with them a remembrance of things that happened and things they had been taught, and they became increasingly distorted with time, and yet those remembrances are still there. See, God's Word has been very meticulously and accurately passed down from Adam all the way down to Noah, through the flood, to other forefathers, to Abraham, and eventually into the hands of Moses, who wrote it down as what we now have as the, uh, the Jewish Torah. Explain a little bit more about the carbon dating methods. Carbon dating is one of those things that's convinced many scientists that the Earth is very, very old. It turns out our bodies are made out of both non-radioactive carbon and a, a unstable form of carbon that flies apart. And about every 5,730 years, half of it disappears. So if you find like that woolly mammoth we were talking about locked into ice, you grab a piece of its skin and you measure how much carbon's left, 
and let's say it only has one-eighth the carbon that we have today, that, that would be like in half of, in 5,000 years, half would disappear. In 10,000 years, it'd be down to a fourth. In 15,000 years, it'd be down to an eighth. You would say that mammoth is 15,000 years old. But it assumes that woolly mammoth started out with the same amount of carbon we have today in our bodies. If the world was a paradise before the flood, the radioactive carbon would be spread much thinner. It may have had only one-fourth the amount while it was still alive. So you see, if you start with an assumption there'd never been a flood, you're going to use what seems like a logical way of dating something but come up with a completely wrong conclusion about its age. And I'm so fascinated, uh, and we're making available his beautiful hardcover. The artwork is amazing. It, 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 it's, it's such a beautiful book. You'll want to leave it out on your table uh, when you have company. You'll want your children to be doing the daily devotional in the soft cover book called Inspired Evidence, 365 uh, readings each morning. Your whole family should do it. Zingers, <laughs> just totally destroying evolution. Uh, but tell me about the bees. Well, evolutionists believe that bees evolved fairly late in history, somewhere between 20 and 90 million years ago. And yet, when they look down on the rock layers, they've, they've got to give them very old ages in order to believe that one kind of creature turned into another. And they believe the rock layers that contain flowering plants didn't evolve until about 120 million years ago. So, so you supposedly had flowering plants on the Earth for 30 million years before the first bee ever evolved. The question is, how in the world did these plants pollinate and propagate themselves when there weren't any flying insects that are needed today in order to do exactly that? Just one of the many, many, many enormous problems with evolution that simply get glossed over and ignored. Uh, speaking of, of the contribution of bees, this is amazing. Uh, someone sent this to my office actually this morning. Albert Einstein said, if the bee disappeared off the face of the earth, man would only have four years left to live. Bees pollinate 80% of plants. If plants don't get pollinated, they don't produce seeds. Without seeds, many plant species would simply die. No fruit, no vegetables to eat. Even trees would die. This will affect the amount of oxygen in the world, which would rapidly decrease since plants create oxygen. No food, no oxygen, no animals, no humans. And, I, I mean, when you look at those facts, how could uh, the flowers have started before the bees? They, they simply couldn't have. It is all one enormous interrelated system that had to all be made at once. Uh, it just it all points toward a creator. Bruce, you feel, based on Bible prophecy, what we see going on in the education system with a society that doesn't uh, believe in creationism, uh, it's all been prophesied. Explain. It, it has. This is an amazing time to be alive, Sid. Uh, Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, in Second Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 3, he made this statement. He said, scoffers will come in the last days. Now, that ought to get our attention whenever it talks about what are the last days. And it says, these scoffers will have this characteristic. 
They'll walk according to their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Things have went on as they have since our fathers have fallen asleep. That's the way modern science operates. Everything's happened way back in the past as if nothing has ever changed. It's called uniformitarianism. And then he makes two specific prophecies. He says, but they will willfully, purposely, in other words, forget this. By the word of God, the heavens were made of old, the earth standing out of water. That's a direct reference to creation. And that the world that then existed perished, being flooded by water. A direct denial of a global flood. That's exactly where we are today in our modern education system. For almost 2,000 years around the globe, there had been a universal acknowledgement of a global flood. Every culture in the world has a story of a flood that has happened on this planet. And a universal acknowledge that there's something behind creation. Creation did not make itself. And yet only in about the last 100 years has our education system starting to promote, and, and really strongly even in the last 20 to 30 years, the only possibility is that the universe made itself and that there's never been a flood. So we are in what the Bible calls the last days, and we need to be very busy getting the truth of God's Word in front of other people. Why is this so important? Take me. Um, I had such an encounter with Jesus uh, that I don't doubt anything in the Bible. I don't have any problem, but I'm surrounded with children and grandchildren that are being barraged uh, with the with these views. I've got to have the zingers, as I put it. I love you. I, you. You have a book of 365 zingers. A family should be reading one every single day. Uh, give me one zinger. Uh, well, for instance, the DNA code is a language. Every definition of what is a language fits the DNA code. It transfers information. It causes effects to happen. It's got a um, non-repeated sequence of, of symbolic letters. Um, there's no way you can describe what a language is without it fitting the DNA molecule. You know, scientists have pointed telescopes at outer space for about 50 years looking for any non-repeated sequence of information coming from outer space. And across the world, if they found that dot, dot, dash, 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 dot, 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 dash, 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 like Morse code coming at them, even if they didn't understand the language, every newspaper in the world would say proof of intelligence outside of humanity found. And yet when they turn the telescope around and look in every cell in every form of life on this planet, they see exactly that same evidence. And they deny that it's proof of intelligence outside of humanity. Uh, you know, about a year ago, uh, when I was moving to Charlotte, I went to a lecture by the Jewish community, and they had the leading conservative rabbi giving a lecture, and I could not believe my ears. This is conservative. These are people that supposedly believe in uh, in the Torah. And he said, oh, the book of Genesis, we know it really didn't come from God. I'm, I mean, if, if to me, I was in a state of shock when I heard that. Well, you know, you just hit the, the nail on the head as to why this matters. This isn't just a debate about science and what science can or cannot prove. It's a debate about the trustworthiness of God's Word. You know, the fastest way to destroy a relationship is to st destroy trust. When Satan came to Eve, he said, did God really say that you'll die if you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? You see, if you
you can't trust God's Word at the very beginning, if you can't trust what it has to say about where things came from, when creation happened, where animals came from, about a worldwide flood, why would we, if we don't believe it at the beginning, why would we expect the world to believe it when it talks about Jesus Christ and spiritual stuff and heaven and salvation? What would you say to a a high school student uh, that says dinosaurs became extinct millions of years ago? What would you say to them? I would say that is one area where the Bible shines in the truth of its reality. You see, all these cultures all over the world have remembrances of dinosaurs. Evolutionists would say they've been dead for 60 million years. Mankind has never seen a dinosaur. And yet over in Cambodia, there is a carving of what is clearly a dinosaur in one of their temples. Down in uh, Mexico, they have pottery that look exactly like dinosaurs. In Peru, they have burial stones that show dinosaurs carved onto them. We've dug up dinosaur bones that are unfossilized, both up in the Alaska area and even in Montana, unfossilized tissue. You see, all of that makes sense if mankind has lived with dinosaurs. It's totally impossible if dinosaurs have been extinct for 60 million years. The evidence fits the biblical perspective. The Bible says it will be like the days of Noah before the Messiah returns. Why is that so appropriate today? Well, that's interesting. The disciples wanted to know. Jesus said, I am leaving to make a place for you. And they said, when are you going to come back? And that's, what it, that's a quote from the chapter of Matthew where he's talking about that. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be before the Son of Man returns. Well, what was really undeniably present at the days of Noah? There was an enormous vessel signifying a coming judgment standing in front of everywhere, a, 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 a floating boat capable of holding two of every mammal, bird, reptile, and amphibian on the planet. It was now, now, how could a boat be large enough to carry, to hold so much like that, so many, so many animals? Um, because you can calculate how large a railroad stock car is. You know how many reptiles have been alive and extinct on the planet, and they would have fit in about 30 to 50% of the space on that boat. It was an enormous boat. Uh, it wasn't built for any sort of a little local flood event. It was built to preserve the animal life on this planet during a world restructuring flood. Anyway, let me finish that question. So here's this monument to a coming judgment of God before all people on the planet at the time of Noah. Well, there have been multiple accounts of that ark is still present, locked in the ice on top of Mount Ararat. Uh, And I'm aware of many expeditions that have uh, brought back samples of wood. I believe we're very, very close to definitively proving and showing, here's a book, here is a boat big enough to hold every kind of animal on the, on the globe in 30% of its space, 14,000 feet on a mountain above sea level. Once that's found and shown to people all over this planet, I believe once again it will be as it was in the days of Noah, and we are very, very close to the return of Christ. Why is it so important for every family that's listening to me to get your three resources. Because your children are being programmed to disbelieve the Bible on their television programs, on movies, in museums, in the newspaper. Whenever they hear about millions and billions of years, it says 
deaths and disease and bloodshed have been around for millions and billions of years long before mankind showed up. So it reflects on the very nature and character of God himself. Uh, they need to know the truth, and we as parents need to be giving them the truth. Now, now the one recollection I have uh, so vividly from elementary school is a chart uh, showing the evolution uh, of of man, starting you know with the ape in the in these pictures. Everyone has seen that. What would you say to someone that has seen that and believes it? I would say what you are seeing are variations of apes and variations of people. Just like the dog kind has enormous variations, everything from foxes to wolves to greyhounds to chihuahuas to Great Danes, people also have enormous variations. You have pygmies that are average four foot tall, and in the same area of Africa, you, you have Swahilis that average six and a half foot tall, uh, different amounts of brain capacity, different shaped heads. So evolutionists will just line up those variations they find that of people who have died and, and been buried in different rock layers during the flood and pretend it has been apes been turned into people. Uh, but it's just a misunderstanding and a misinterpretation of the evidence. I want to get this beautiful hardcover book called Censored Science and the softcover book, which has a daily reading for your entire family with, with just zingers just destroying evolution and the DVD explosive geological evidence for creation, which is changing people's entire paradigms, all available for a gift of $40. Shabbat broadcast. The Lord is blessing you right now. The Lord, he's smiling upon you right now. The Lord, he's even healing someone right now. If you'll move your back, you'll see in your neck the pain is gone and your spine is being straightened. The Lord is surrounding you with his favor right now. The Lord is gifting you right now. The Lord is giving you his shalom, his completeness in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body right now in the name that is above every sin and every disease, the one that died for you and loves you, Yeshua HaMashiach Sikenu, Jesus the Messiah, our righteousness. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural!, Visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming Mishpucha or Chalitzim, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina. 28278. To place a credit card order, call anytime 1 800 447 
2697. For all other calls, the number is 704-943-6500. That's 704-943-6500. For a CD of this week's broadcast, send a donation to Sid Roth. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.